0: Hey, uh, we're continuing in this series that we've been in, it's called All My Life. Uh, We've been in it since Easter and we've been looking at uh, some of the biggest questions that we as human beings have a tendency to ask. Things like, you know what, all my life I've been searching for someone, can you just tell me who I am? We we looked at that back at Easter and we've been um, looking at questions like, is there anyone who can connect me back to uh, this God who created me? And last week we looked at this idea, is there anyone who can kind of answer the question, is there any purpose in my life or can anyone give me purpose in my life and last week jim said something that struck me um he said this and maybe you remember to be on the screens he said this broken people call on the name of the lord and he answers them And he challenged each of us for the past like week between last weekend and this weekend to wake up every day. And some of us, we even wrote this on our bathroom mirrors or put a little sticky note or something like that. Um, Basically to say, listen, God, I believe you are who you say you are and you'll do everything that you've promised to do. Now, would you uh, let your will be done in my life? That was kind of the challenge for us last week. And what struck me was this, is that what Jim was basically challenging us to do was this real simple thing um, called to pray. Or, or like talk to God uh, And most of us in this culture We're pretty familiar with the, the word pray Or we're kind of familiar with what prayer means And so I immediately started thinking about Alright, what songs could I ask the band to do That would have to do with, with prayer That I could get Randy and these guys to do And so um, for me, I immediately thought of MC Hammer um, You've got to pray just to make it today But then I didn't think I could get Randy to wear parachute pants To save his life That would have been awesome though, wouldn't it? That would have been good. And then then my mind kind of turned towards um, a Bon Jovi, uh, but I didn't think there was any way that in a week's time Randy could grow enough 80s rocker hair, you know, for living on a prayer. Whoa! Can you hit the key change? Right, right. And then I immediately started thinking, all right, just for, you know, all the country music people in the room, wherever you are, I thought of Garth Brooks, you know, one of God's greatest gifts, or unanswered prayer, but I didn't think there was any way I could get Randy to wear a, a cowboy hat and a checkered shirt, but we got this for you. <laughs> uh, but more than anything, my mind, of course, turned to Madonna's like a prayer, uh, but if, I didn't think there's any way we get Randy to wear a pointy bra. Yes. All right. Now that we've all been scarred for life, uh, let's uh, move on to the Word of God. So so if Madonna, Bon Jovi, MC Hammer, even Garth Brooks know a little something about prayer, uh, enough so to, to write songs about it, I started wondering how many of us, if we're really, really honest, really know what prayer is? Or why we should pray or how we should pray. Like really, ultimately, if there is a God out there and I really can be connected to him through Jesus. And I really can approach his throne of grace with confidence like we've been talking about. What would that look like for us to actually do that? Because if we're really honest, for a lot of us, this idea of prayer is kind of this weird, mystical, kind of weird pressure-like thing, right? And for a lot of us, we're going prayers for those like hyper-spiritual people. You know what I'm talking about? The ones who get asked to pray at uh, like graduations and weddings and uh, holiday meals with the family. And they, they say such profound things and use such flowery speech. I mean, it sounds like they're quoting Shakespeare every time they pray. And I'm sure that God is very impressed with their fancy speech or not. But for most of us, this thing called prayer is really, really confusing and really, really intimidating. And if we're really honest, sometimes it feels like when we, when we pray, we're just kind of talking to the ceiling, if we're being really honest. So what I want to do tonight is I want to just kind of really simply break down for us, what is prayer? And I want to start here, I want to start with this kind of premise, which is this, we all pray... We all pray, uh, there's with rare exception, most people on the planet pray at some point in their life. I can prove it to you, because a lot of us have had this moment where we looked in the rearview mirror and we saw these blue and red flashing lights, and in that moment we say something like, sweet Jesus, no, you know, or something to that effect. Even the most staunch atheist in that moment all of a sudden throws up a prayer, Right? Um, But in all seriousness, Jim talked about this circumstance last week when he said broken people call on the name of the Lord. When we find ourselves broken, when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, by nature we speak and we hope, we pray that someone hears. And we hope that the one who hears is powerful enough to help, don't we? And a lot of times those prayers are offered in hospital waiting rooms and doctor's offices and a boss's office or in front of a spouse who's about to walk out the door. And it's often our kind of last-ditch effort. It's literally kind of a Hail Mary, which is why we have terms like throwing up a prayer or we'll say about someone, he doesn't even have a prayer. And that's where a lot of us have landed with this thing called prayer. It's when you've done everything that you can possibly do, then as a last-ditch effort, then you pray. And so most of us at some point in our lives have prayed. We're, we're people who pray. But I guess the question is, is that the model? Like, is that the way it should play out? Is that the way prayer should operate? Is that the way it, would, it should be? I mean, if we've been connected back to God through Jesus, if we really do have a relationship with him, should we only speak to him when we're in a desperate situation? I mean, here's a question. Do we operate like that with any other healthy relationship in our life? Like, like if once I got the ring on Ally's finger, if I went, hey babe, I'll let you know if I ever need anything, till then I'm good. And Ten years of like silence, I mean how well would that go over? I mean no, no healthy relationship works that way and the buzzword in relationships is always communication, right? But here's the honest truth, because we can't see God, because it feels kind of weird to just speak into thin air, we really struggle with grasping the reality of our relationship with God. Which consequently leads a lot of us to struggle with this thing called prayer Unless of course we're in serious desperate need of something then there's no struggle at all, is there? See, jim said something else last week that that stood out to me. He said this He said most of us if we're honest all of our lives we've been looking for a god who would work for us I was sitting right over there somewhere and I remember kind of saying ouch You know, I said that Because it's true It really is true. All my life, I've been looking for a God who will operate more like a cosmic genie in a bottle than the almighty maker of heaven and earth, or at least a kind of cosmic Santa Claus, who if, if I'm good enough for him, as long as I'm not naughty, but I'm more nice than anything else, as long as I can kind of present my list of good things I've done over the course of the year, then I'm allowed to present my list of things I need him to give me. And after all, I've been good, so now he has to give them to me right? That's the God I've been looking for all my life. Problem is I can't find him. I can't find that God. The problem is I have to invent that God. I have to kind of conjure that God up in my mind and in my heart. And the problem with that is the invented conjured up God doesn't deliver the goods because he's a figment of my imagination, right? Now the real God here's what i've learned a little bit about the real god sometimes i ask and he says no and I'm not just talking about when I'm presenting my, my Christmas list. I mean, the Ferrari has yet to show up in the front driveway. But I'm talking about those Hail Mary moments, those terrible moments of desperation. I'm talking about moments like when I was lying under the tree in my backyard years ago back in Kentucky. And my wife was racing home because um, she had to get to the doctor. She was having complications with her first pregnancy. And I'm lying under that tree and I'm begging and I'm pleading, God, please, please. Please, we prayed for this child. Don't take this child. Don't let this baby die. And in a few short hours, it became clear that the answer was no, and the baby died. See, those are the moments I'm talking about. Because the God I invent doesn't deliver the goods, and because the God that does exist um, doesn't work for me, because he refuses to be my errand boy, I so often find myself really disappointed with God, don't you? And we find ourselves disappointed and because of that we stop talking to him How many of us that's our story you brought that in here tonight Maybe you're sitting here going. Yeah, you know what scott if i'm really really honest me and god We haven't been on speaking terms in like years Because god didn't deliver the goods when you needed him to most is that anybody's story You know what I can only speak for me Maybe my story reflects yours a little bit, but I've noticed that I have this really strong tendency that in the midst of my current circumstances, I forget all about everything God has done for me all my life. And all I want to do is put a finger in his chest and point to what he's not doing for me at this point in my life. And again, I wouldn't operate that in any other healthy relationship in my life, but that is the way that I often treat God. And so here's the thing. Why do we get disappointed in God? Same reason we get disappointed in anyone else. The same reason we get angry with anyone else. Because our expectations aren't met, right? And when our expectations aren't met, we get disappointed and we get angry. And so we turn our back on each other and we do the same thing with God. But here's my question. What if my expectations are off? What if my expectations are wrong? So then I've got to start asking questions like this. What does the Bible actually promise in regards to prayer? And what does the Bible actually promise in regards to what my expectations ought to be when I pray? See, Jim said last week, broken people call on the name of the Lord, and he answers. And when Jim said that, he was reflecting something that the Bible says over and over again. What I want to look at tonight are two simple verses that we're going to find in the Psalms written by a guy who prayed all the time. He prayed constantly. This is a guy who lived a roller coaster life. I mean, you may walk in here going, Scott, you have no idea. My life has been crazy up and down. Crazy like you wouldn't believe. I bet this guy could have you beat. I mean, this guy started off, he was, he was one of the youngest, he was the youngest in his family of like all kinds of children. And honestly, he was really forgotten by his own father. He was overlooked by his brothers. He was um, really perceived as... Insignificant by his entire family, and in a true kind of rags to riches story, he actually becomes the king. The problem was there already was a king, and that king liked being the king, and he didn't want this kid to be the king, and so this kid becomes a fugitive for several years, hiding in caves. In the desert, uh, even with his enemies at different points along the way. It was awful and there were near misses and there were moments that he almost died and moments of sheer exhaustion and despair. But eventually the throne became, became his. And he established his kingdom and it went really well for a while. He had great wealth. He had lots of children. Things were going really, really well until he blew up his life. He blew up his life by cheating uh, with, his, with one of his best friend's wife. And he got her pregnant. And then he found himself doing something that if you would have told him earlier in his life that he would one day do, he wouldn't have believed you. He would have called you crazy. You ever found yourself in a place like that? Doing something that you never in a million years would have dreamed you would have done in a place you never dreamed you would ever be? And that's exactly where he found himself when he unleashed a plot to have his friend killed and then put a cover up in place when he took on the role of the valiant, benevolent hero by taking in his wife as his wife now. And then he gets caught. Everything gets exposed. You ever been caught? You ever had everything kind of unveiled for everyone to see? It's kind of the worst day of his life. I don't know, because then it gets worse. One of his sons rapes one of his daughters. Another son takes revenge on the first son and kills him. One of his sons actually tries to steal his throne and chases him out of his his kingdom and out of the capital city. I mean, this dude lived a seriously up-and-down, roller coaster, sometimes wonderful, often terrible life all at the same time. And his name, maybe you've heard of him, uh, was David. His name was David, and all along the way... Up and down and everything in between, he kept a journal of his prayers. And it seems that as we look at David's life, he was not a Hail Mary type of prayer. He literally did what First Thessalonians five seventeen tells us to do, which is to pray continually, or pray without ceasing. David talked to God constantly, no matter the situation, good or bad, no matter what he was feeling, he prayed. Um, Sometimes, and maybe this is like you and me, because I do this all the time, in the middle, if you read the Psalms, in the middle of some of David's prayers, he'll have like a mood swing. Like you'll go, like he'll start off going, God, you're great. Great is your faithfulness. You're wonderful. You're always with me and you're always near me. And then towards the end of the same prayer, he's going, God, where are you? I can't find you, I can't see you, I don't know where I am. I mean, in one prayer, have you ever been there? You ever been there where you're just swinging from one end of the spectrum to the other? I mean, these are some of the most honest human prayers you can ever find. And I think we could learn a lot from this guy named David about this thing called prayer. And especially what our expectations ought to be when it comes to prayer. And look at this on the screens. This is the first verse I want us to look at. And I think we could probably memorize both of these verses by the end of the night. They're very easy. Look at this Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's all say that out loud together. Here we go. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like broken people calling the name of the Lord and he answers, doesn't it? It does. So let's, let's kind of patiently wade through this verse here for a second. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted or near. What, what does that mean? It's more than just proximity, like I'm standing near this stool. It's more than that. It's speaking of familial relationships, family relationships, right? Um, this means uh, the same thing in regards to when you would say that's a close relative of mine. This is someone who's close, Proverbs eight twenty four kind of alludes to this eighteen twenty four when it says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's a reference to God. So, so who is God near to in that way and in that fashion? It says he's close, he's near to the brokenhearted. What does that mean? Brokenhearted. Literally, it means shattered. That's how it translates. Not not just I'm kind of hurting right now. No, no, no. This is, this is the worst moment. This is when your heart is literally in pieces. This is when you can't even put words together. You're that broken. You couldn't pray a congruent sentence if your life depended on it. It's the moment when all hope seems lost and nothing could ever make the pain go away. It's that moment. And it's people like that that the Lord is that close to. That the Lord is family with. That's what David is saying. And it's people like that that he saves. And that word saves in the Hebrew is supposed to conjure up kind of a word picture for us. Literally, it's supposed to kind of paint a picture of a picture of sheep that's been cornered by a bunch of wolves and there's no way out. And that sheep being delivered from that moment where there's no hope into a big rolling green pasture with no predators anywhere nearby. That's the picture this word save is supposed to bring to mind. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Crust in spirit. What's that mean? The best way I could say it for you would be this. It's for those who've literally had the wind knocked out of them emotionally and and physically and mentally and spiritually. You got nothing left. You can't even stand up. That type of person. Now... Time out for a second, all right? Because if I were you, I might have this question at this point along the way. I might say something like this. Um, Scott, that's really, really great. I understand that he comforts the brokenhearted and he's, he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Here's my question though, Scott. Why didn't he keep my heart from breaking? Why didn't he keep my spirit from being crushed to begin with? Why didn't he stop that freight train from hitting my life? Why didn't he keep her from dying or the bankruptcy from happening or him from walking out the door? Why? Why, why, why? Let me me ask you this, all right? What if God, just for a moment, decided to answer all your why questions? Like what if he got out a whiteboard and like started writing and charting out why in the overall scheme of things, from an eternal perspective, every decision he's ever made regarding your life makes perfect sense. Would that, by the end of that presentation, would you go, oh, now I feel better? I wouldn't. (laughs) At the end of the presentation, would you go, oh, I'm totally okay with what happened now? Probably not which is probably why God doesn't ask us to fully understand. He just asks us to fully trust him. He's not asking you to fully understand. He's asking you to fully trust him. And here's the thing about this kind of brokenness we're talking about. It's referring to those who are broken and crushed, how the wind knocked out of them. Not only do they know it, but this is the person who knows that that's true about themselves, but also is willing to admit it willing to admit it. And that's the problem for a lot of us. We're not very willing to admit that we're broken people, are we? Or that we've tanked our lives or that someone else has tanked our life. See, the guy who wrote all this, David, he struggled with that too. When he tanked his life, when he had an affair and got her pregnant and had his friend killed, he didn't immediately own up to it. I mean, he didn't, he didn't look at the ash heap of his life that he was sitting on and see it for what it, what it was immediately. He still had blinders on. He had to have a friend who, at risk of his own life, came to him and told him and pointed it out to him and said, Look at what you've done. Look at what you're sitting on. Look at the wreckage of your life. And it wasn't until then that David owned up to it. And he saw it for what it really was. And when he saw, when David saw the level of his brokenness, do you know what he immediately did? And this is where we could really learn from David. He ran right to God. He ran right to God. If you want to read all of his prayer journal from that experience, go home tonight, write this down, read Psalm 51. You can see everything he immediately said to God in that moment. Here's the first verse of it. Look at this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, it's almost like David expected to approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and grace. It's almost like that. So, David, who I would say his difficulty in life would rival that of anyone in this room says this he says despite how you might feel in your worst moment despite how you might feel or how you might perceive God to be distant in that moment the truth is he's right there with you and he's closer than you can imagine and he will not let this moment destroy you and that's the truth for so many of us in this room one of the things I find amazing and unique about this church is the level of our stories in this place So many of you, you've been through some unbelievable circumstances. And from the outside looking in, your circumstances at different points in your life look absolutely insurmountable. And some of you would honestly say, like if we had enough time, I could go around and point some of you. And you would just say, listen, honestly, Scott, the only reason that I'm here today is because God has kept his promise to be near to me when I was brokenhearted and to save me when I was crushed in spirit. Some of you, you're going, there's no other way to explain the fact that I'm in this room tonight. How else could you explain it when someone cheats or walks away when a child dies or a bankruptcy happens or the word is cancer and the prognosis is terminal? You don't positively think your way through situations like that. You don't work your way through situations like that. You don't maneuver your way through situations like that. You need someone strong enough to get you through situations like that. You need someone who's near to you, to be close to you. And while God never promises to take the circumstances away, He promises to be near in the midst of the circumstances. So, if all that's true, then how should I pray? How should I pray? I mean, should I only pray when it's in those desperate moments, those Hail Mary situations? That's not how David prayed. David did not only pray when he found himself in the pit of despair. David prayed when he found himself on the top of the world and everything else in between. David talked to God constantly, which is why he said this in Psalm 62.8. Here's our, our other verse, all right? Look at this. Trust in Him at all times, O people, Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Let's say that one out loud. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. See, that word trust literally means to have confidence that you can rely on someone, to lean on someone. So, we've been talking about for a long time around here to believe God is who he says he is and will do everything that he's promised to do, and to actually live your life like you believe that to be true. And David says to do that at all times, to trust him at all times. You know what all times literally translates? It's kind of weird. All times. All times. Good bad at all times and honestly for some of us let's just be really really honest here for a second the struggle for me is not to rely on God when I'm desperate the struggle for me is to rely on God to trust on God when things are going really really well We all tend to run to God or some conception of him when we find ourselves in a broken place where we realize our life is out of control and we're no longer at the steering wheel. But it's when we feel like we have life figured out, when we feel like we have control, when things are going really, really well, when we're healthy and when we're wealthy and when we have whatever it is that we've been pursuing, whether that's the girl, the guy, the job, the baby, whatever that is, when we have it then things are going smooth sailing, that's when we have a tendency to forget about God more than any other time in our lives, right? Because if if we're really, really honest, a lot of us, most of the time, we're not in a relationship with God for the relationship. We're in a relationship with God for what we can get out of Him. Ouch, right? Right? See, again, I can only speak for me, but I often kind of treat God like a ticket to a ball game. I use him as long as I need him to get me through the door to whatever experience I'm trying to get to. But once I'm through the door, I don't need him anymore. I use him to ultimately get what I want. And that's what we do all the time with God. We use him. See, here's the thing. I think God knows this about you and me. Which is why I think he has... Many reasons one of the many reasons why he allows difficult things to happen in our life Is because he knows that when difficulty and hardship and suffering hit our life We have this tendency to be drawn back to him Otherwise, we have this tendency to just kind of run away And I don't know if you realize this or not But god didn't send his son to the cross so that we could continue to live in isolation from him He's relentlessly pursuing a relationship with you and me. He sent His Son to the cross so that we could have a relationship with Him. So David says at all times, trust Him at all times and pour out your heart to Him. What's that mean? Literally, it means to express your dependence on God. To say, God, I need You. God, I can't go on without You. God, I'm broken. I can't put myself back together and only You can. Or... God, I love you. God, I couldn't be happier right now. God, I thank you for what's going right in my life right now. Thank you for him. Thank you for her. Thank you for the baby. Thank you for the job. Thank you for the mountains. Thank you for the sky. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this drink. Thank you for these friends. Or, God, I'm so frustrated right now. God, I'm so angry right now. I'm so ashamed right now. I'm so confused right now. Whatever it is, whatever you are, whatever's going on inside of you in that moment, to pour yourself out simply means to empty it out in front of Him. To be open, raw, real, and honest. And here's the thing, all right? You might not have a person on the planet you feel like you can be that open, raw, real, and honest with. You can't be with God. And you can trust Him that much with all your stuff. You can pour out the deepest recesses of your heart to God. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about this woman in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, you can find it there. It's about this woman named Hannah. She was unable to have a baby for a long, long, long time. And one day at the temple, she's praying and she's begging and she's pleading and it says literally that she was pouring out her soul to God. And that's what prayer is. Pouring out your soul to God. Expressing our dependence on God. Pouring out our hearts to Him. And David goes on and explains why we should do any of that. It's like trusting Him at all times. Pour out your soul to Him. Well, you might still be going, why? And here's why. David says it. Because God is our refuge. Because God is our refuge. You ever been caught in a storm? Like a real scary storm? I have lots of times. Once out on this huge lake back in Kentucky. And when you're on a huge lake on a small boat in a big storm and land is really far away, it gets really, really scary. Or maybe you've been climbing a fight 14 or hiking somewhere and stuck in like a really horrible storm. In that moment, all you need, all you're seeking, all of your resources get diverted to finding a place of refuge. Finding a place to hide, a place for safety while the storm continues to rage, right? See, what David is saying here is this. Storms are going to rage. Storms are going to come. And there is no promise that the storm is going to leave your life anytime soon. What the promise is, is that there is a place of shelter. There is a place to hide. There is a place of refuge. And David, if you read through the Psalms, his prayer journal, you'll find the word refuge hundreds of times. Always referring to God. I want you to understand this really, really clearly, all right? David is not saying God provides a refuge for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying God is your refuge. He is your refuge. He is our shelter. He is our place of safety. He is, and he is alone more than enough. See, David said this all the time. In fact, last week, we sang this new song a couple times last week called Awakening. Remember that? And as we were singing, I started thinking about one of David's prayers in Psalm 57, which I'm pretty sure is where that song came from. We're going to look at Psalm 57 here in a second. What I want you to do is I want you to picture David while we read this here in a second. Because David actually wrote this, prayed this prayer from a cave. Because he's hiding from Saul who's trying to kill him. He's the current king. David's the upcoming king and he's been hiding for a long time and so what I want you to do is as we read this I want you to picture David cold afraid wet and shivering running for his life with one of the most powerful people on the planet hunting him down like prey and this is what David says to God have mercy on me O God have mercy on me for in you my soul takes refuge I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they've fallen into it themselves. My heart, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. And here it is. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness, reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. How does a man pray a prayer like that from a place like that? Because David knew, this cave is not my shelter. This cave is not my refuge. This cave is not my hiding place. God, you are, and you alone are. So what are you you saying, Scott? Boil it down. I'm saying this. I have no idea where you are right now, most of you. I don't know if you're in a cave or sitting on top of a mountain. I don't know if you're afraid and hiding or if you're just living life high on the hog. I don't know where you are. You might be in your worst moment. You might be in your best moment. I know though, that one thing is true and always has been about your life, no matter if in, you're in your worst or best moment, there's one thing that has not and will not change, and it's simply this. Colossians 1.17. In Him, all things hold together. In Him, all things hold together. And guess what? That includes you. The only thing holding you together is God. The only one who can rescue is him. The only one who saves, who brings you into that green pasture, is him. Now I know, you might think, no, I've got it under control. You may be in this place where you're going, no, I'm strong. Nothing will ever bring you to your knees. And I pray that you hear me now instead of remembering what I said later. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us will at many times in our lives be on our knees. You are so fragile. You are one moment away from life being turned upside down. You are one, hear me, you're one phone call away. I'm one phone call away from waking up tomorrow and the whole world looking different. One test away from finding out just how little control of my life I have. See, whether you're in the cave or on top of the mountain, you are totally and utterly dependent on God. Whether you have cancer or whether you're in the best shape of your life, one thing has not changed. You are totally and always have been totally dependent on God. Whether you're in a great marriage or sitting on the wreckage of what was once your marriage. Whether you've birthed 12 healthy kids or whether you can't have a baby. Whether you're wealthy or you have no idea how you're going to even eat dinner tonight. Whether you're loved or hated, envied or forgotten, powerful or weak. You are, always have been and always will be totally dependent on God. That is the reality whether you choose to grasp it or not. And prayer is the simplest way of expressing that. Prayer is the simplest way of expressing that. Bottom line tonight is simply this. Prayer is an expression of the reality of our total dependence on God. Prayer is an expression of the reality of our total dependence on God. So what I want to do tonight is give you a chance to do that. To express your total dependence on God. To actually pray. Maybe for the first time in a long time. And here's the thing. Jesus... He was teaching his disciples one day how to pray. And as he was about to do that, he said this kind of interesting sentence. He said this, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he taught his disciples how to pray. Now, people like me go, well, if he knows what I need before I ask him, why do I have to ask him? Right? What if one of the things I need is to express my dependence on God? What if one of the things I so desperately need in my life is to express my total dependence on God, to stop pretending that I've got this, that I can do this, that I'm strong enough, that I'm tough enough, that I'm smart enough. And i got to be really honest with you, just speaking personally about me, that's exactly how I'm wired. That's exactly how I'm built. To prove I am not weak, to be strong. Don't whine about your circumstances. You push through your circumstances. You work hard, and if you need to, you run over top of people to do it. Just push through it. I'm not kidding. You can ask my wife. If if I get sick, um, I go to the gym more. If I get hurt while I'm running, I run faster, and my wife thinks I'm insane. That's how, I'm, that's how I'm wired. If I'm busy, I add more things to my plate. If things are stressful, I take on more responsibility. Just an example, if Easter's coming at church and it's gonna be kind of chaotic and crazy like every Easter is, um, how about I just add a seminar class called Big Questions About Christianity to do right in the middle of all that. That's what I do. And the truth of the matter is, I gotta stop it. <laughs> I gotta stop it. I've got to stop trying to prove how tough I am, how strong I am, how smart I am. I've got to quit trying to act like nothing can stop me and nothing can slow me down. You want to know why? Because all of that is not true. It's not true. I am totally and utterly dependent on God. And sometimes a lot of us, we have to learn that the hard way. In the book of Daniel... In the Old Testament, we learn about this real powerful king. You might have heard of him before, kind of a cool name, Nebuchadnezzar. History tells us that Babylon, when he was ruling it, um, was just really the envy of the world. His palaces, his gardens, his army, uh, everything about it was astonishing, and he knew it. And one day he's walking around on the roof of his palace and he's, he's thinking to himself and he's talking to himself and he says this, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built, the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? A lot of us think that way, we just don't say it out loud. And the words were on his lips. As those words were coming out of his mouth, the Bible tells us some synapse in his brain misfired and some chemicals got out of whack and he literally went insane for seven years. He went out into the fields in front of all of his people in his kingdom and lived there for seven years like a cow eating grass. He was drenched with rain and dew. His hair grew really long. His fingernails grew longer and it became very, very abundantly clear that he was not as powerful as he thought he was. And then in the Bible, we get Nebuchadnezzar's actual words in Daniel 4.34 when he says this. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised up my eyes toward heaven. Hang on to that phrase. Lifted up his eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. So why should I pray if God already knows what I need? Because... One of the things I need is to pray. One of the things I need for my sanity to be restored is to lift my eyes away from my circumstances toward heaven. And praise the most high and honor and glorify him who lives forever. I'm just guessing that the one who sent his son to die for me wants to hear from me. I'm just guessing that the one who didn't keep his own son from me so that I could have a relationship with him actually wants me to have a relationship with him. And that involves talking to him. That involves pouring out my soul to him. That involves prayer. So we're going to create some space to do that tonight. We're going to take communion. And we're going to remember that Jesus gave up his body when we take that little piece of bread and how it was broken for us. And we're going to remember that he poured out his blood when we take that juice and we, we drink it. And we're going to remember that he did that so that we could have a relationship with him. And I want you to take this time to pour out your soul. Whether it's good, bad, or somewhere in between. To just tell him about it. To just empty yourself. Whatever's on your heart. Whatever's going on. If it's great and you're sitting on the mountain, tell him about it. Thank him for it. If it's horrible and you're hiding in the cave, tell him about it. Ask him to be your shelter. See, no matter where you are tonight on that spectrum. Take this time to say, God, you alone, you alone can rescue. You alone can save. And I am totally and utterly dependent on you. Let's pray. God, a lot of us, um, we don't like the idea of being dependent on anyone, much less someone we can't see. I mean, God, a lot of us, um, we haven't talked to you in a long time. We're mad at you. We can't see past our own circumstances and we don't understand what you're doing and we're asking why. God, I pray that you give us the confidence to be able to, to trust in you and to rely on you even if you never give us the answer to why. Because God, you really are the only one who can be a refuge for us. Only one who can save. The only one who demonstrated it so clearly by sending your son to die on a cross for us. Gave up his own body and blood for us. And then was raised from the dead to conquer death for us. God, you've been very, very clear about how much you love us. Now, God help us now to pour out our souls to you. In Jesus' name, amen.